All right, everybody, how we doing? Welcome back to another episode of Two Minute Drill presented by Deep Dive Sports. It's your boy, Nick, and I'm joined by David and Dom, as always. We're going to hop into our quarter one, which is our recap time. We got some exciting games to go over, some some uh, David versus Goliath stories, um, a crazy game between Oregon and Washington, um, and yeah, so we'll go right into it. So Oregon-Washington, guys, if you guys didn't get to watch this game, this was a... A, a fun game man 36 to 33 Washington ended up winning this game just 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 a master class I think between two quarterbacks that have been in college football for a long time both of them I think being fifth year seniors this year so obviously some things have started to click a little bit of late bloomers but they are they played a phenomenal football game. So I'm going to turn it over to the guys here to get their opinions on this game. And we'll go ahead and start with Dom on this one. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really exciting game. It's definitely one of the, the better games of the year so far. Um, I think we've kind of been blessed as college football fans with a pretty good season to this point. Um, I think Michael Penix kind of solidified himself as the Heisman front runner. Um, I think no matter how the, the USC game would have played out, I think – with with his performance this week, he probably would have become the front runner anyways. Um, I think Washington's for real. I think they could be a legit playoff contender. Um, I, I really like what they're building. And I know they're they're gonna lose Pinnix after the season to the draft, but I think that they've developed the program enough where this could be a legit playoff contender for years to come, especially now that there's a 12 team playoff coming. Yeah, and super exciting that we're gonna get to see both of these teams in the Big Ten, I think, you know, being able to watch them consistently play. I know that the travel is going to kind of suck, but um, just adding these two talents, like Dom said, going forward is going to be super fun. And and yeah, I, we'll get to the, you know, um, USC Notre Dame game here next. But yeah, I, I do agree. I think Michael Penix would have edged a little bit forward, um, even if there was a better performance that would be had by Caleb Williams. But yeah, this, this game is just, it's, it's a lot like um, Oklahoma, Texas to me, where like you just had two top 10 teams that went out, played each other super hard. Um, for the most part, this game seems a lot more cleaner. I think Penix had one interception, but other than that, that was the only interception that in the game. So like I said, these two guys threw it all over the field. Both teams had a guy who rushed over 100 yards. So not much defense to be had in this one. But if you love offense, it was a fun game. So, uh, David, what do you got on this one? Yeah, definitely defense was going to be my major point was that it wasn't really there outside of when the uh, yeah. Washington needed it. Um, to to stop Oregon at the end of the game, but yeah, you got Penix who went twenty two for thirty seven, three hundred two yards, four touchdowns, and was the only interception. Um, then Bo Nix was thirty three for forty four, at three hundred thirty seven yards, two touchdowns, and both of the uh, in all three major runners, uh, had each had touchdown. 
two of which went 100 yards plus. So definitely um, an exciting game. Yeah. And and I will say this, it, it's, it does suck because we're not in a 12-team playoff this year, and I think this year would have been like the perfect year for it because I just feel like there's so many good teams, um, and we haven't had that in a while. It's usually only been like four or five teams that you look at and you're like, wow, they could win a national championship. But I feel like, I feel like there's a good 10 to 14 teams that you look at that you could be like, if you guys are fully healthy and you're hitting, you you could win a national championship. And and it is crazy going you know into next year. I hope this continues. I hope that we can continue to see this pattern because I think college football will be more more fun to watch. You know, with this going on. So, but let's go ahead and jump into our first uh, David versus Goliath game here. I think we all kind of predicted that USC would win this one. Um, you know, all the talks about that USC defense really kind of being the one to let this team down. But in this game, it, it really felt like Caleb Williams let this team down. And as well as he's played, this Notre Dame defense, you know, stumped him. He threw three interceptions. You know, he turned the ball over too much. And it's not even like Notre Dame really did a lot on offense. Like Sam Hartman only threw the ball 20 times. He only had 126 passing yards and two touchdowns. Like, they had a guy rush for 95 yards, two touchdowns. So it's like, yes, they scored some points, but we knew that they were going to score points on this USC defense. But Caleb Williams just wasn't able to, you know, take care of the ball. And I think that was really the biggest takeaway from this. And I, I will kind of get into, you know, his Heisman chances more. But just from the game in totality, guys, David, what's your you know opinion on this, you know, in general? Yeah, I think the three interceptions is what killed him the most. Um, because when it comes down to it, you you need your quarterback to make throws. And yeah, you point out the fact that Sam Hartman only went 13 for 20. He, that doesn't really matter on the grounds that he made his throws, he made them accurately. And when they mattered, you add that with Pretty decent running offense. They went for 125 yards total. And so, yeah, I think that was the biggest factor to it, was the three three interceptions for uh, Caleb Williams against a team where the offense was, while not surprising, or not, not surprising, um, maybe not super fashionable, came came to play yeah dom what you got um i wish i could say i'm surprised i mean i I know i brag on notre dame a lot here um still think that they're an overrated team but i think usc is a little overrated as well um i think this as much crap as i talk on notre dame their defense is a, a good defense probably the best one of the best defenses that usc has played this year um so the the fact that it was you know, maybe a, an upset doesn't really surprise me too much. Um, I just thought that USC's offense definitely would have been better than they were. I it, I, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a trend here with Caleb Williams. I know everyone loves him and, you know, thinks he's going to be the next big thing in the NFL. But this is a guy that when he's been on the big stage, hasn't really lived up to expectations. We look at um, the big, not big 12, the Pac-12 championship game last year. 
we look at this year. This is a guy that you know still hasn't been to the, the college football playoffs. It, it seems like you know national TV games. You know he, he kind of fades a little bit, especially against bigger opponents. So that's something. If if I'm a prospective NFL team, one of the eight teams that Caleb Williams said that he's going to play for, because uh, apparently he can pick where he goes uh, going into the draft. Um, I would be a little concerned. You know, hopefully it's something that that's mental that can be worked out. But we're definitely seeing a trend that's you know, maybe a little alarming. Yeah, I will say with Caleb Williams, I, I don't, I don't want to get stuck in this like, you know, web of trying to compare these new quarterbacks that are going to come out of college to Patrick Mahomes. But he does seem to have a lot of the same traits, and I wonder if maybe he would benefit from sitting behind a veteran quarterback for a year like Patrick Mahomes did because he does he does seem to play well when he's supposed to like Dom was saying in those big moments he seems to maybe shrivel a little bit but I do think he has the arm talent I think he has the mobility that he can move around in the pocket maybe pick up some yards like I think that it's there. I think maybe giving him a year to develop and be behind a pro and not be forced into a starting situation would really benefit him. I know that's going to be hard to do because when he comes out in the draft, he's going to go to a team that <laughs> needs him to play because they stink. But I do think that if they have the ability to sit him for a year, I, I think that that would be beneficial to him specifically. Um at least half I mean, a season. You know what I mean? In my opinion, every quarterback coming out of the draft would benefit yeah. from sitting for half a season, at least half a season under a vet that's been there and done that. You don't if you if you draft a quarterback in the in the first round, you don't need to start them right away. You don't need to go out and sign uh all pro caliber quarterback, but someone that is a good teacher that can hold the fort down and keep the game kind of close while your rookie quarterback's ready and waiting. But yeah. someone that, that's more of a teacher that's going to be able to teach these kids how to be a pro in the NFL. And it, it's not so much questioning the arm talent because that that's not a question for any of these guys, really. It's being a student of the game, learning how to you know analyze film at the NFL level because it's different. Um, I mean, everything about the game is different. So, yeah, yeah I think any, any quarterback coming in the – out of the draft uh, would benefit from that. Yeah. I mean, there's very few guys that come out of college that start right away where you're like, okay, yeah, you're good to go. You know, I think CJ impressed a lot CJ's of people. CJ's been the first one in a while that that has really yeah. come out and really hit the ground running. And I think that's just because he's – I don't know. I As much as people talk about Ohio State quarterbacks, I, I do think that Ryan Day prepares them for the pro life as best as he can. Um they may not look flashy, but they are very accurate and they are able to get the ball to the receiver. But, you know, I think we saw, you know, with Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson might have benefited from sitting for half a season to maybe get a little, a little bit more NFL shape, you know, maybe learn to get down instead of trying to run people over. You know, I think that's where a lot of his problems came. And, and I think, Bryce Young might have benefited from half a season. He seems to be struggling, um, even though that Carolina Panthers team, I don't think they don't have weapons. I think he has all right weapons, um, but I don't know. 
All right, let's move into our last college game of the week that uh, I had put up there last week, and this was UCLA versus Oregon State. So if you look at this one again, you know, another California school here. I think this one, I didn't think it was, you know, USCLA was supposed to win this game, but it just kind of felt like their quarterback did a lot of the same that Caleb Williams did. He turned the ball over a lot. He put their defense in bad situations. And, you know, Oregon State didn't score a ton of points, but they scored enough to win the game. And um, I, that's really all that matters in the end. So, you know, what's your guys' opinion on this game, Dom? Um, I thought it was a pretty good game. I think it was, you know, the, the score really doesn't indicate that close of game. Um, but... UCLA is still a good program. Oregon State is just a much better team. Um, I, I don't think they're a real playoff contender, but there's they're still a better team than UCLA, and UCLA is still a pretty good team. A um, lot of lot of growing pains that I think this team is going through. I know they're a little bit of a younger team, um, so I think they'll come with time. But you know, I'm not. Maybe this season I'm, I'll be a little bit worried of it, but the long term growth of the program. I don't really think it's going to be that much of a hindrance to their future growth. Yeah, I agree. Again, another team that's going to be joining the Big Ten along with USC, and um, I think the four teams that we're getting have immense talent, and their programs, you know, should be immediately probably in the top half of the Big Ten when they come in. There's a lot of a lot of teams that have a lot of things to figure out in the bottom part of the Big Ten there. So, but David, what's your opinion on this game? This comes to show that you don't necessarily need the fanciest quarterback in the world. You just need one that'll make his passes and make them accurately without turning the ball over. Because eventually you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. All right, let's move on to the NFL here. Recap games. First up was the Thursday night matchup against the Chiefs and the Broncos. Um. I'll just throw it out there. Uh, Dom, what's your uh, opinions on this game? There's a snooze fest. I mean, the, the Broncos offense is horrendous. I don't think Sean Payton and Russell Wilson are a good match. Um, this uh, this team, uh, especially on offense, has a lot of names on it, but it seems like it doesn't have guys that really contribute in any way. Um I give Cortland Sutton a little bit of a pass just because he he's had some knee injuries, and I know, I think he's he's had multiple ACL injuries, or at least one one major ACL injury. So that that's going to be a hindrance to him. Um, Jerry Judy, I mean, we all heard what Steve Smith said about him, but um, you know the numbers kind of back it up. I mean, he, he's not really the guy that they thought that he was going to be. Um, yeah, I think this is a team that's on on the verge of a rebuild. And it's unfortunate considering all the assets they gave up to get Sean Payton and, and Russell Wilson in the building. Um, but I am concerned about the Chiefs. I, the, they were going in the, into this game against probably the worst defense in the league, and they were only able to put up 18 points. I, I think they got some things to figure out at wide receiver. Um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't that great of a game, but I think we definitely learned a lot, of, especially about the Chiefs. All right, David? Yeah, was definitely concerning for the Chiefs because you only put up 19 points against the worst defense in all of the NFL. And 
Russell Wilson struggled a lot in this game. And yeah, because it's like we keep saying, yeah, Russell Wilson's not really the issue. It's a bunch of everyone else. Well, this is the one game where he definitely was the major issue. So combine that with the weakest defense in all of the NFL, and you're only going to put up eight points. Yeah, this was a interesting game. I mean, I think probably before the season started, whoever made the schedule said, hey, this will probably be a fun game, but I did so many of these like Thursday night games this season have just they've just sucked. And I don't this know. season they've always been that way. No, I, I do I do feel like we do get quality Thursday night games. I just feel like I mean listen, it's hard to tell when you go into a season with injuries and how teams are actually gonna play. But I just feel like abnormally this season we've just gotten so many duds on Thursday night that I don't think we've really gotten a good Thursday night game. And I'm just like, well, I I just don't, I don't know if it's the short week of it. You know what I mean? I think maybe that could be play a factor. Maybe, maybe we stop doing Thursday night games, but they're not going to because of the money factor. I mean, would Friday night games be better? Maybe that's an extra day, a Saturday night game, but then you're competing with college football and they don't want to do that. So like, or take away the Thursday night game and just do Monday night games. I like Monday night games. I think Monday night games, I think we have a lot more quality Monday night games than we do Thursday night games. So I don't know, but you know, honestly, you could put two Monday night games. I hate it, but I think that that would give us quality more games that give guys more time to rest and prepare. But because if you have a team that plays on Sunday and then they got to turn around and play on Thursday, like I think that's why we get a lot of these crappy games on Thursdays. So, but we'll talk more about, sorry. I was going to say they can do two Monday night games if they stagger them better instead of having them go two games at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Um, but no, no, I, I was going to say we'll we'll talk more about the Chiefs and their struggles later on. I, I do agree they're struggling. I, I have my own opinions on why, but we'll kind of get into that later Thanks. on. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the Saints and the Texans. I thought this game, not that it would be like crazy high scoring, but I did think the score would be a little more. Um, we see CJ Stroud throw his first interception. I think he now holds the record for um most pass most passes completed to start a career without an interception. So we talked about him as a rookie this year, you know, being one of those guys that has been able to come out, start, and look strong. Obviously, we still have the rest of the season. Um, this game was definitely not his best game, but it wasn't you know, completely awful. He is a rookie. Um, and honestly, Derek Carr didn't look awful either. He had an interception as well, but he threw for like 350 yards. I just think this was one of those games where the defenses showed out and played, but I'm interested to see what you guys think, David. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, defenses definitely came out when they needed to. Because like you said, Derek Carr came out and played. He threw 32 for 50, threw for 353 yards, but only one touchdown to one interception. And on top of that, 
Alvin Kamara went 19 carries for 68 yards. So. And he did have some receptions too. True. Yes. But it's like, how do you throw that many yards and still have a decent amount of carries for a decent amount of yards and not win by more? That just shows that the defenses came to play. All right. Dom. And I think I've been impressed with the way the Texans have played all season. Um, I, I've going into the season, I knew they were in the right direction. Um, I, I love the hire of D'Amico Ryan's at head coach. And I, I really thought that of the two or of the many uh, head coaching vacancies, I thought that was one of the better um, spots to land at. And I, I know, I think you guys kind of disagreed a little bit with that uh, considering the recent history of the Texans. Um but I, I think Ryan's has come and completely changed the culture of that building. And I think they found a guy in CJ Stroud that is a perfect fit. And, you know, I, are they a playoff contender this year? Probably not, but I'm still very impressed with, with how this team has developed. And I think the future is very bright for this team and they have to play in a division where, Long-term, I mean, we don't know what Anthony Richardson is going to be given his injury history. The Titans are a team that looks like they're on the verge of a rebuild. So really their only competition in the division is going to be Jacksonville. So I I think they're a team that's on the rise at a perfect time. Um, The Saints are – there's a lot of talent on that team, but they're a team that kind of looks like they're trying to hold on and – stay competitive for as long as they can keep Alvin Kamara and and Michael Thomas on the roster. I think this is a team that ever since Drew Brees is retired, probably should have started a rebuild then, but, you know, there's still talent on that team. So I don't blame them for, you know, trying to find any quarterback that's competent enough to play and and keep them competitive. But the Colts have kind of done the same thing and it never really worked out for them. So you know, while while they've played good, uh, they haven't really been able to finish games. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, these are two organizations that are going in in opposite directions, and I think that was made pretty clear this week. Yeah, the Saints have a lot of veteran talent. I, I do agree. I think they're trying to hold on. I, I think the Saints saw the NFC the next this year, maybe next year, and they were like, "We just need 10, 11 wins, and we can make a playoff spot." Um. Do they get there? I don't know, but I do think it's doable with Derek Carr and, and their defense. I just think that they have to, like Dom said, finish out games. So I think the the Texans weren't an ideal spot for me when he got drafted there, but I think like the Lions, if you can find the right guy to come in there, set the culture, be a leader of men, um, and make good decisions, I think that you can drastically change the way your organization operates and the way your organization is viewed. Um, And I think that's important. You know, we look at what Dan Campbell's done with Detroit and we go, okay, you know, they may not be Super Bowl contenders this year, but they definitely should make the playoffs and they definitely should go pretty far in the playoffs. I think teams are not going to want to play them. Um, you know, and as the season gets farther, I know Dom made a face, you know, I, 
they they may compete for a Super Bowl. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I want to see a little bit more from them, but I do think that he's changed that franchise around for the better. Now, can D'Amico Ryans do the same for the Texans? Um, it looks like it, but let's give him a couple years. You know, we gave Dan Campbell, you know, a couple years. Let's let's give him a couple years and see what he can do there um, and see what C.J. Stroud can really develop into. But I do think that this was a game that the Texans needed. And if they keep winning these close games, I mean, we're talking about a team that could potentially be a wild card team and they may not go very far in the playoffs, but again, it's another team that is gritty and, and has been like kind of eking out wins. And, you know, we kind of saw what they did to the Steelers defense. They dropped 30 on them and that's not many teams have been able to do that. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's go to our second David versus the Goliath game here. You, uh, you had injuries on top of injuries in this game on both sides, whether guys were out before the game even started guys were out during the game. Um, you had the Browns with a practice squad guy that was playing quarterback in, in a PJ Walker. Um, and it just, it felt like the 49ers came into Cleveland and didn't really understand how to play when it was a little bit rainy and cold out. They just kept trying to do the same thing that they had always been doing. Um, and it didn't really feel like they had an actual game plan against this defense, which is probably arguably the best defense in the league right now. Um, and it just was very concerning coming from the offensive-minded coaching staff that they have. And the Browns were able to eke out a win, you know, a slightly missed to the right field goal, and they uh, they walked away with one. So, you know, to the two Browns fans here, we'll go ahead and start with David, but, you know, what is your what's your overall opinion on this game? Honestly, I was shocked that the Browns even won because, honestly, I was at work and I was like, okay, hey, what was the score of the Browns game? And I was kind of shocked that a 49ers said team or fan, 49ers fan said that the Browns won. I was like, really? And yeah, the, the Browns came through. Uh, defense held up. The offense was on the field long enough where the defense wasn't too tired, I guess you could put it. Um, PJ Walker did what he needed to do. And they got lucky on a missed field goal. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dom? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the whole game, and and as the game went on, I was feeling more and more confident about the Browns' ability to, to eke out this win. I think this defense, I don't think it's it's arguably the best defense in football. I mean, statistically, they came in as the best defense in football, and they shut down the 49ers, who have one of the best offenses we've seen in a, in a long time. I think... Brock Purdy and, and this team hasn't faced a lot of adversity in a long time, especially in the especially Purdy because he he missed the playoff game, um, the the NFC Championship game. So seeing him face adversity for the first time, um, he wasn't really able to handle it. I know there were there were injuries. Um, they lost Debo, they lost Christian McCaffrey, but they still had them for half the game. And the half the game that they were in, the Browns defense shut them down. 
Um, by the time Christian McCaffrey went out, he was averaging like 3.3 yards a carry. Debo was really irrelevant. They were able to hold Kittle to one reception for one yard. Um, you know, I, I think the the culture in this Browns team kind of changed before our eyes. Uh, we we saw Kevin Stefanski talk after the game about you know how motivated the team was and and how Wednesday was the best practice they had all season. And you know this team was ready. I think maybe the fight beforehand kind of lit the match a little bit, but you know they were able to come in down Deshaun Watson, obviously, obviously down Nick Chubb, half their starting offensive line. And you know PJ Walker didn't look great, but he made plays, made enough plays for them to get into scoring position, and they were able to do just enough to win. And you know sometimes you need a little bit of luck in this league to win. There's a lot of teams that have won games because the opposing kicker missed a field goal. And, you know, it happened to be our week this week. You know, it it's a good win. Obviously, it could have went either way. But, you know, as a Browns fan, I'm excited. Obviously, we beat the 49ers as, as any team of or any fan of any team would be. They would be ecstatic about this win no matter how it came. And I, I think this division, the AFC North, is anyone's division to win and Honestly, if Deshaun Watson can come back and play 80% of how he played against Tennessee, I think Tennessee, we we finally started to see old Deshaun Watson come back a little bit. You know, if, if the Browns defense continues to play this way, if if you can only score 10 points against the, against this offense or against this defense, the, the Browns can beat anybody, honestly. And if Deshaun Watson comes back and – and doesn't even need to light the world on fire. Just plays respectable football. You know, keeps the, the, the defense rested, runs the clock out. You know, if you score 15 points, you're going to win. Yeah. I mean, I hate Sean Watson. He's a bum, bro. But I, I agree. I mean, as a person, I don't like him either, but he's the quarterback of my team. I mean, you had to deal with Ben Roethlisberger for almost 20 years, so. It's not the same thing. <laughs> not, not the, not, but, but the, <laughs> it's not the same he's still, thing. He's still, ben still Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer. Nothing of what he was accused of was ever found actual, and he didn't fucking have – he didn't assault 70 different people. So let's not put that in the same category. Like that's not Again, even the I'm same. Not, I'm not defending Deshaun Watson as a person. I do not like him as a person. Uh, we're as, as Browns fans, we're kind of in an arranged, a temporary arranged marriage. I'm not even, I'm not with, even talking about the, him as a, as a person though. I think as a, like as a player, I think he's, he's a bum. And like, I know that he has the talent to be able to do what he's going to do, but I think that all this stuff with him being injured, whatever it is, like he's not being there for his team. And I just think that in reality, in these situations, like these games are so important. And I know their next four games aren't awful. Like they could win those games if their defense plays this way. But PJ Walker ain't it. DTR no. ain't it. Well, like they, in they, my opinion, they need their. In my guy opinion, out the there. Browns. I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but I think it's more so a fact of the Browns learned their lesson from how they handled the Baker Mayfield shoulder injury, and how, how they, they like absolutely disrespected that man. <laughs> exactly. I, I think. Yeah. 
I, I think they learned their lesson with that and they figured I don't you I know. don't think I don't think they they learned their lesson at all because they want him to play. I think Deshaun whatever well, yeah, Deshaun, they want Deshaun Watson's the one deciding not to play. It's not the team. So regardless of what's going on, because you know, they like Stavansky's come out multiple times and said it's up to Deshaun. Like he's not even taking any onus for it. You know what I mean? He's like, it's up to him. So whether or not he's injured or as injured as he thinks he is, or whatever it may be, because there's clearly some some uh some bad blood on this one between the staff and Deshaun Watson on whether or not he actually can play. Um, and either he's being protective because he saw what happened to Baker or he's just not playing. I don't know. So the only thing either I'll say, way, if he's not a hundred percent and he's taking this time to become a hundred percent, because I mean, the, this was the hardest part of our schedule. The, these first games, you know, before the bye week in San Francisco, then the schedule eases up a lot. So it, you know, if he took these couple weeks, including the bye week, to, you know, become a hundred percent, you know, we're going to need him down the stretch. And, you know, like I said, I the agree other, with what you're saying, but the, the other thing we'll is, see. I don't, I don't, I disagree with the Brock Purdy comment, and only because I never mentioned Brock Purdy. No, no, no. When you said that he couldn't handle adversity, I don't think he played great in this game, but I do think he's a guy who went up against the number one defense in the league, so it's going to be hard to begin with. And second of all, he loses his top two weapons halfway through the game. And you say they didn't score any points, but they were up 10 to 7 at halftime, so they had put points on the board. They were moving the ball. You know what I mean? I think that, again, this is the best defense in the league when you talk about, you know, front seven to the DBs. And in that final drive, you have him drive down the field, put his field goal unit in position to win the game. I mean, they should be going home 6-0 and right now. The field goal kicker missed. Right? Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I think that that last drive by the Browns, they got helped out by some bad calls. So, like, I just don't think that – I don't think Brock Purdy – didn't show up or couldn't handle the pressure. I just think there were a lot of things that were not, you know, in their favor. And and again, I, I think that play calling wise, they didn't go into this game with a good game plan. I think that is much on the coaching staff. Like there was no reason for them to try to play in a way that they could play loose and fast and throw the ball all over the place because it was rainy. It was wet. It was cold. Like this is not the West coast. This is, fucking cleveland <laughs> like once it hits i mean October. san francisco doesn't have much different weather compared to cleveland they, they get a lot of cold and, and rain too but, but not like i, I do, not I like do agree that, no not like cleveland but i do agree that play calling was an issue it seems like they kind of abandoned the the run early and i i don't understand why um because i mean i i know purdy did get them in position to win the game at the end but still Against this defense, he was not having a good game, and I, I feel like they had him throw a little bit too much. I, I still think they could have relied on the run a little bit, but the run also wasn't getting anywhere either. So I, they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But still, he went twelve of twenty-seven for a, barely got over hundred yards, one hundred twenty-five yards, so forty-four percent completion percentage. Now he it was a sloppy game on both sides. I, I, I think the the officiating was horrible in this game on both sides. You know, 
both teams, I think there was 22 combined penalties. Um, earlier in the game, there was some some call, some really bad calls that went the 49ers way against the Browns. I, there was a questionable holding call that they brought back a touchdown. Um, there were some other bad calls. Unfortunately, in the NFL, bad calls are part of the game. You know, every team has been screwed over in some way by bad calls. It's just something it's that we have to deal with. Sports, and, anyways. Yeah, in all like, unfortunately, it's just part of the game and something that we have to deal with. But yeah, I, long term, I don't think anyone should be really worried about the 49ers. I still think that they're the best team in football. It's just, you know, any given Sunday, any team can beat anybody. And it's it was impossible, almost impossible to go undefeated in a 16-game season, but it's going to be even more difficult to become undefeated in a 17-game season. So long term, I think the 49ers will be fine, but I think this is more – more of a victory that the Browns needed, that the 49ers needed. Yeah, I mean, the Browns definitely needed this one to kind of stay relevant, especially with Deshaun Watson not playing, and who knows how long he's going to be out, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, Let's go ahead and move on to Cowboys-Chargers Monday night. Chargers, again, we talk about it all the time. On paper, they probably have six or seven different positions that have guys who are top 10, top 15 at their position, like on paper every single year. And we're sitting here two and three. They have Justin Herbert, who a lot of people say is top five, top 10 quarterback in the league. I just don't see how they find themselves in this situation. I don't see how they, you know, lose this game this way, but Dom, what's your opinion on this game? Um, I don't know. It, I don't think this is as much Justin Herbert's fault as it is coaching. And, um, my God, what's the name of the name of the Chargers coach? Uh, Brandon. Drawing a, yeah, Brandon State. I think he was already on the hot seat coming into this game or coming into this season, really. And I, I don't know why they keep sticking with him when clearly his play calling has been an issue. Time management has been an issue. Um, it, it seems like at times the team just falls flat. And I, I don't think that's really on the players as much as it is coaching. I don't think he's the right man for the job. And I think they should have made a move going into this season. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, a tough game. I think this is definitely a winnable game by the chargers, but I don't think the Cowboys played bad. Like Dak had a, had a good game. I mean, he led the team in rushing, um, had the only rushing touchdown, the only passing touchdown. So, I mean, he definitely showed leadership and poise and didn't turn the ball over. That's something that you want to see from Dak and for him to be clean. And, and, and that defense will hopefully, 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 uh, you know, hold the other team to a low amount of points and they can kind of squeak out these wins. But, I think that's how they're going to have to win games is that defense is really going to have to show up for them. And I don't know if the defense won them the game, like Dom said, as, as much as it probably was play calling, but everything's a factor. David, what do you think about this one? I think it's every given Sunday, and there's a whole lot of factors that go into it. Yeah, you have the primary ones like the offense, Um the offensive players and defensive players, like they're the 
the major players. But it also comes back to coaching. It's like you said, the Chargers have on paper one of the best teams out there. Why are they two and three? The the players can only do so much. Yeah, they're going to screw up every now and again, and that's fine. But if you're always losing games, and especially close games, at some point you have to draw the line in from player screw-ups to coaching putting them in bad positions to screw up. So I think this is more that Dallas had some pretty decent coaching when it mattered, and L.A. just had coaching that fell short. And that's not to take away from Dak Prescott throwing 272 yards at all. He came up and he did he did what he needed to do. Interesting, interesting. I mean, these are two teams that definitely have their problems, um, and they're 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 going to have to figure it out one way or another um, if they want to be competitive. So, but let's go ahead and move into quarter two here, guys. Um, pretty much the college football topics that I have this week are um, just about USC. I think this was a game that people didn't think USC was going to drop. Obviously they did. Um, First up question for this is, you know, what is next for USC? What do they do after this loss? When you look at their remaining schedule, uh, they do have to play Utah this coming week. Um, Then they go play uh, University of California. I believe that's what it is, or Cal. Um, Then they got to play Washington, Oregon, and UCLA, UCLA, UCLA. Um, yeah. So they I thought there was a new school there for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, so four out of their last five games are teams that are in the top twenty-five. You know, UCLA did lose, but they're still ranked twenty-fifth right now. They're still a good program. They still have a good team. Um, they got to play two top ten teams and Utah, who is ranked fourteenth right now. So, you know, with the way they've been playing with this kind of a loss, you know, where, where does this team go? What, what happens next Dom? Um, I think they got a, a lot of restructuring to do. I don't know. I, the defense had a good game this last week, but we know that that's still an, an issue for the team. Um, I'm more so concerned about the, the dip in offensive production against a team that does have a, a respectable defense, but a, a defense that will still allow you to, to move the ball down the field like they allow Kyle McCord to do earlier this season. Um, the schedule doesn't get any easier for them. If anything, I think these games coming up are going to be harder than what they faced against Notre Dame, and I'm concerned about you know, how they're going to play. I think they're going to lose – quite a few of those games coming up, especially against Washington and Oregon. I don't think they have a chance against those teams. Um, I don't know. I I think this is a team that had a a really easy non-conference in in early part of the season. And now that they're getting into conference play, like I know the Pac-12 is pretty much dissolving at the end of this year, but this is the best Pac-12 that we've seen in a long time. You know, I, I think... Things are, are not looking good for USC at the moment. You know, I 
stated my concerns about Caleb Williams earlier, and I, I don't think that those are all of a sudden just going to go away. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not worried about the offense. I think I don't think they're going to play a defense that's as good as Notre Dame's for the rest of the season. I think Utah's will be close, but I like I think Notre Dame probably has the best defense that they'll that they'll play this year. Um, so I'm not worried about the offense. I think Caleb Williams will bounce back. I think this is definitely a learning experience for him. Um, but what I am worried about is whether or not they can outscore the other teams that they're going to be able to play. Like that is going to be the question. And when you go up against Utah, I think they could outscore Utah. I think they could outscore Cal. I think they could outscore UCLA. But when you talk about Washington and Oregon, those are two teams that can easy drop 60 points if your defense isn't isn't paying attention. So I think Which that yeah, I, I think that that is really the question. I think what's next for USC for me is they have to come out of this year with less than two losses. I think max they can have two losses. I think Caleb, Caleb Williams has to play out of his mind the rest of this season. And I think going forward, if you want to play in the Big Ten, if you don't want the same thing to happen, you're going to have to fix that defense and you're going to have to allow your quarterbacks who play for you to understand how to take care of the ball against good defenses and how to take care of the ball in colder slash crappier weather games. I think that goes not just for USC, but that the other three teams that are coming in as well too, because you don't want to come into the big 10 and play a Wisconsin who may be a middle of the pack, big 10 team, but has a, a good defense and somehow stifles your offense enough for them to win games. You know what I mean? I know Wisconsin doesn't look great this year. That's just an example I was using, but I I think that goes to show that the big 10 is very much a, a front, you know, seven or offensive line. They they have really good, strong linemen, and they're able to get a push. They're able to play physical, and if you can't do that, then you're going to lose games. And Notre Dame is very much a similar team like most of the teams within the Big Ten, and I think that's why they lost that game. And I think USC going forward, they need to figure out how to incorporate that into their game plan. Um, but this season, they just gotta outscore people, man. That's all they got to do. David, what what's your opinion on you know what's next for USC? I think that they need to start working on next year because when you think about it, we we keep coming back to their defense. It's just that bad, and I think that the offense will just run out of its luck eventually, and. I think that this defense ends up ruining Caleb Williams's chance at winning a Heisman this year. So I know that I'm moving into the next topic for that, but I genuinely do think that because it's like, he's going to have to do everything, but eventually it's kind of like what we say with the offense, not being on the field all the time, the defense get tired, gets tired. I think eventually he's going to get tired and make so many more mistakes where he just loses a shot. Yeah, yeah I, I agree a lot with what David said, but I also agree that 
Notre Dame is probably the best defense that they're going to play all year. But I, th- I think they play a lot of respectable defenses that can hold USC just enough for their offense to, to put up 60 points. And, you know, Washington and Oregon, that's definitely going to be more than likely. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, hell, even Utah has has a pretty good offense and a pretty good defense. They even stand a chance. So yeah. who knows? This this could be a team that has, you know, they already have one loss. They could have potentially have four losses on the season because I don't see them beating um, Oregon and Washington. I think those are two losses for them. Yeah. And that uh, David did mention, you know, his Heisman chances. Obviously, after this game, I think he's probably slipped – I don't know if he slipped completely out of the conversation, but I do think that he has fallen some spots. You know, is he completely out of it? Is there a way for him to find himself winning a second Heisman? Um, Dom, what's your opinion on that? Um, No. One, because I, I think this is not going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to give it to him again and not make the playoffs. I think the the defense will kind of ruin the season for them. But again, his, his play in big games has left a lot to be desired and he's got a lot of big games coming up and we'll see how he plays. You know, it could be a situation where he plays himself out of the Heisman race and it's not really the defense's fault too much. Yeah. I do agree that I think as of right now, he's out of the Heisman race, but I think there's a pathway for him to do it, but he has to he they have to win out and i think he has to play better than the quarterbacks he's going to play he has to play better than michael penix um he has to play better than bo nix and i think that that would put him back in the conversation especially if the stats are there i don't think he has to make the playoffs i don't think anybody who wins the heisman has to make the playoffs i think it helps but I think if he can win out, they can win the, you know, the Pac-12 championship. Um, I think that that he would have a good chance. But that's a big if. He, they have to do that. He has to play well, you know. But as of right now, I do think that he he lost that just because of the way he played. David, I know that you kind of had a little bit of an opinion on it, but do you want to elaborate more on it? I think. It- now that you mention it, it's a little bit of both. I think he's just going to end up shooting himself in the foot a little bit, but at the same time, not all of it's going to be his fault because of the defense not being able to show up. So there's that. All right. Well, let's know what you guys think at home about Caleb Williams. Um, you know, what you think his play will be at the next level. Do you think there is still a shot for him to win a Heisman? Um, let's know what you guys' opinion on that are. We're going to go ahead and move into quarter three. It's our current topics from the NFL. Uh, this first one's more of like a, a broad question. I know maybe some of these injuries might not be permanent. Some of them might be resolved. But, you know, this past week we saw Christian McCaffrey with an oblique injury, Debo Samuel with a shoulder, David Montgomery with ribs, Justin Fields with a hand injury, Trevor Lawrence with a knee injury, Ryan Tannehill with an ankle injury. Garoppolo with a back, Baker Mayfield with a hand. We learned that um, Anthony Richardson could be having season-ending season, injury, season ending shoulder in 
shoulder surgery, can't talk. <laughs> um, and just there was so many other little, you know, ticky tack injuries. I think we saw Damian Harris from the Bills. He was carted off with a neck injury. So, you know, we are we are we were in week six. But like, what is the impact of, you know, all these injuries, especially to the quarterback position, you know, that we've seen? David, I'll, I'll let you go first on this one. I think that I'm not really worried about the 49ers with Chris, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. I think the team will be fine without them. They can relax possibly next week and they'll be fine. I think that the offense is perfectly fine without them. David Montgomery, I'm confident Jameer Gibbs in being able to kind of like shoulder the main like running back role until he gets back. Um, they just they would they would just have to restructure the offense a little bit to be more passer friendly for him and for Jameer Gibbs. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Justin Fields. Because if he wants to continue playing football, um, I don't know how well a hand injury will pan out for him right now. Obviously, yeah, you can go look back on, yeah, he had an amazing season up to this point, but you can't really say that for his entire career up to this point. Um, Trevor Lawrence should be fine. That team should be fine overall. Um, can't really speak on Ryan Tannehill at the moment and not expected for Jimmy Garoppolo. He has been injury prone, but if he does come back, I'm, I'm confident that that team will be pretty good, pretty solid. And up to this point, I'm surprised with Baker Mayfield's play a little bit. Hopefully they can handle this hand injury better than the Browns handled his injury while he was here so there's that uh don um yeah i i agree about the 49ers i will see to the severity of the injuries but if they're only going to miss a game and they'll be back i think they'll be fine uh there's no concerns there david montgomery i agree uh jameer gibbs should be able to to come in hopefully i mean we haven't really seen it that much from him th- this year um his abilities to, you know, actually be be a running back instead of just a receiver out of the backfield. But they drafted him in the first round for a reason. So, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for him. Uh, Justin Fields, his x-rays came back negative, so there's no broken bones there, uh, which is good. So I think he'll be he'll be good to go in like a week. You know, who knows? He may not even miss time. He's not completely ruled out just yet. So he still may play this week. If he does, obviously that's, that's good for him and, and good for the bears. Um, Trevor Lawrence, obviously that knee is always concerning, but I don't think we know the extent of his injury just yet. Again, if it's something that's not going to keep him sidelined for too long, then I don't think there's any cause for concern there. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, this may be a perfect time for a, uh, Mayo Coffee QB and Malik Willis to kind of step up and <laughs> see see what we see no. what they have in in Will Levis, but I, I think this is a team that, like I mentioned earlier, is on the brink of a rebuild, and if they're going to, they need to see what they have in Levis and Willis. I think you know 
if this is a severe injury, I could very well see them splitting time at quarterback. And I don't know. I think it sucks for Ryan Tannehill, but I think this is the best thing for the organization. And I'm sure Ryan Tannehill can can come back and be Ryan Tannehill. But I, I think I think this is going to be his last year in Tennessee. No matter. Sorry, I think this is going to be his last year in Tennessee. No matter what. Uh, Garoppolo, I'm surprised he went six weeks without getting injured. <laughs> he seems to get injured um, every other week. So, no, actually, no, he already did miss some time with his concussion. So, doesn't really surprise me too much. Hopefully, for the Raiders, he's able to come back because their backup quarterback situation is um, not ideal. So, for for Garoppolo's career, and I think for the Raiders this season, uh, hopefully, he's able to come back. I know he was taken to the hospital. Um, after his injury, so who knows? Uh, but this this may be a pretty severe thing. Uh, Baker again, don't know the extent of his injury. I don't think it's anything too severe. Um, if he's able to, if he's going to miss time, it'll probably only be a week. But yeah, I, I don't think really any of these injuries are any real cause for concern. Yeah. I mean, Garoppolo hasn't really been playing great, so I don't know if this team is going to be better. I mean, they're obviously going to be better with him playing, but I don't know. He hasn't been great. I agree with the Ryan Tannehill injury. If it is something serious where he's going to miss some extended time, this might be a good time for that team to look at players they could have value out of um, and ship them elsewhere and then see what they have in those two quarterbacks. I I know it'll be abnormal, but I do like the idea of being like, all right, um, Will Levis, you're the first half, and um, Malik Willis, you're the uh, second half. I do like that idea. I like seeing what they have. Maybe you do that for two games, and then whoever kind of seems to impress more, you give them the opportunity to start the rest of the season. But again, I think that is completely dependent on what Ryan Tannehill looks like. I think that's completely dependent on whether or not they actually want to rebuild. Um, yeah, Dom? Um, you know, when I said splitting time of quarterback, I, I don't think it would be ideal for either of these guys to, you know, split one half of each game. I think it would be, you know, Will Levis starts one game, and gets a full week of being the starting quarterback and the prep that comes into that. And then the next week, Malik Willis gets his chance, to, you know, to get a whole week of prep, be the starter for a whole game. Because, you know, pulling a guy arbitrarily halfway through a game, you know, who's to say that, you know, let's say Will Levis starts next week and he's playing great. And second half comes around, oh, well, we already plan on having Willis come in the second half and you just pull, you know, it, I think it would be better for the development of these guys if they were to get full games. But, yeah. you know, I, I do agree that they need to split time. And, you know, I, I think maybe this organization doesn't want to rebuild, but I think they have to at this point. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with Justin Fields. I'm glad his, uh, his hand injury is not really that serious. Hopefully it doesn't miss much time. Um, he was playing really well before that happened. So, the David Montgomery injury is interesting. I know you guys say Jameer Gibbs can hold the fort down, but he's been dealing with his own injuries. So that Lions backfield is is going to be interesting. I hope Jameer Gibbs can play. I, I disagree with the running. I think he has 
when given the opportunity, I think he's just as good, if not better than David Montgomery in the run game. I just don't think he's been given the opportunity. Um, and he's been hurt the past two or three weeks. So we haven't really got to see him play. Um, and I think David Montgomery's really been able to flourish because of that, because there really hasn't been anybody to compete for touches. Um, so as those guys get healthy and come back, I would expect, you know, the split to go back to what it was. So, um, let's go ahead and move into our next topic here. And we were talking about the Chiefs earlier and their struggles. You know, the, the question that I put up here was just like, why do we think they're struggling? Personally, for me, I feel like it's because they don't have a big play threat on offense. They have Travis Kelsey, who can be a guy who can catch 12 catches a game, but he's not really a big play guy. And I think that's really what they're missing. That's personally what I feel like is burdening their offense, but I'm interested to see what you guys think. Uh, David? It There could be several different factors why they aren't the chiefs of what we know and expect. Could be offensive line. It could be, like you said, a big uh, offensive playmaker, but it's like, you have Isaiah Pacheco, who's a good running back. You've got Patrick Mahomes, who could do just about anything. You got Travis Kelsey, who's a good both offensive lineman as well as receiver, which is what a tight end is. It can be both. Um, so who knows? David, I'm gonna add a new a new category. It's gonna be uh David Mansplains football. <laughs> <laughs> He goes, that's what a tight end is. Thank you, David. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Dom, what do you think ails this Chiefs team? <laughs> um, I, I agree with what you said about them not having a big play threat. Um, I, but not only do they not have a big play threat, they don't have a reliable receiver outside of Kelsey. I think that's what this team is lacking more than anything. It's great to have a guy that can – you know, make that one sixty-five yard catch that that just burns a defense. But they need someone that can go out and get seven, eight, nine catches a game. And they don't have that besides Kelsey. And you know, he's already faced some injury issues this season. Who knows if those are likely to continue? Um, you know, I think these are the ramifications of moving on from Tyreek Hill. And now, maybe we can argue that that's a move that they necessarily didn't need to make, but it's a move that they made. And I think some of the moves that they made to kind of replace him haven't really panned out. I mean, Kadarius Tony had a nice run last year, but he's been irrelevant this year. Uh, Sky Moore hasn't really done anything. You know, maybe he develops into something, but I think they – let me bring up their their wide receiving stats, but I I really don't think that they have a single guy that has caught more than you know 40, 50 passes this season, and I, I think that's really something that should be of concern to the Chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is by far the best quarterback in the league, but he can only do so much, and the, the fact that you know they're they're five and one to this point you know, is kind of a testament to, to his abilities. Um, look, all right, so bringing up their, their receiving stats, um, no one on this team has 40 receptions. Uh, Travis Kelsey leads the team with 36. Then you got their leading wide receiver, 
um, that's that's not Travis Kelsey, an, an actual wide receiver, not a tight end, is Rashi Rice with 21 receptions for 245 yards. Then Kadarius Tony only has 17 receptions. Um, other than that, you have two running backs and your backup tight end before you get to another wide receiver. So, you know, I think this is one of the thinnest wide receiver rooms in the league. And and this this is going to sound crazy. It's bad. And this is where I feel like this is where I feel like Juju should regret going to the Patriots. Not saying that Juju is like the best wide receiver in the league, but I feel like him and Mahomes were able to connect last year. And I think with another, you know, with another offseason under their belt, he could have been a guy that you looked at him getting eight to nine, maybe even 10 targets a game. Um, and this could have been a guy that would be leading that wide receiver room right now um, instead of sitting there in kind of this awful situation in New England. Um, not saying that it would fix all of that, what ails them, but it would be another guy like Dom is talking about that could consistently catch the ball. You know, one thing that Juju is able to do is catch the ball. Now, when he gets the ball, he's not a very explosive playmaker with it, but he's just another guy that can make a reception, help move the chains. You know what I mean? I think that's really where they're at right now. But I, I, I just think they need they need a home run hitter. And I don't know where they're going to get that from unless they make a trade for somebody. But, like, who's going to give up their home run hitter <laughs> at this point? Like, I don't think there's really a team that is going to be willing to do that. So... Especially not to the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I I don't know. So I think they're kind of stuck with what they have. I think they could go out there and get another guy that could be a consistent pass catcher. But who is that? I don't know. I mean, you look at teams that might be looking to unload some talent. Maybe Denver unloads one of their wide receivers. I don't think really you want Jerry Judy. We'll talk about him more. But maybe Cortland Sutton's a guy they could try to get. Does he move the needle? hopefully um but you know he does have some injury history so i just think that this team needs to look for help on the outside and and figure out how to be a little bit more explosive and i think that'll help their offense out so let's talk about not an offense let's talk about the jets the freaking jets because they beat the eagles our third David versus Goliath game that we had this week. And the question is, Dom, how far can this Jets defense really carry this team? Um, They're three and three. I feel like they've won some games they shouldn't have. What's your opinion on this? Um, This is a situation similar to the Browns. I mean, this is one of the best defenses in football. And as long as they continue to get you know, semi-competent quarterback play out of Zach Wilson. I think this defense can absolutely carry them to a spot in the playoffs. I don't really see, you know, I, I don't I don't think they're going to be playoff contenders. And I think while I'm beyond impressed with Aaron Rodgers' recovery so far through his Achilles injury, I don't see him coming back this year. Um for his sake, I, I hope he doesn't rush it and it leads to him re-tearing the, the Achilles or 
uh, a more significant injury than that. But, you know, yeah, as long as they keep getting competent quarterback play, I think there's some teams in the AFC that are, you know, likely to start coming back to earth a little bit. I think, you know, Indy is a team that we look at, you know, how much can Gardner Minshew really do with this team? He's had his ups and downs. Um, You know, the, the AFC North is a division that I think every team in that division is capable of winning the division. And I think that they're going to kind of cannibalize each other and, you know, we'll see. I don't think anyone's running away from that division. The, the bills have been good. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's there's a clear path for them to to make a one of the last wild card spots. All right, uh, David, what's your uh, opinion on you know how far this Jets defense can really carry this team? I think I'd agree with uh, Dom's assessment of Zach Wilson, but I'd also add in Garrett Wilson as well as Brees Hall. If those two guys, Brees Hall's been huge. Yeah. It, I think those two guys definitely have helped Zach Wilson, Zach Zach Wilson's growth, definitely, because if this was just solely Zach Wilson, the Zach Wilson show, then we'd have a completely different conversation, and so I think it's not just on Zach Wilson, I think it's on all three of them, and their continuous ability to grow if they can do that then they have a solid chance of not only making the wild card then still making the playoffs in general then so it just comes down to really those three guys and i think everyone else in the offense will fall in place yeah i agree i think this defense is going to give the offense opportunities to be in games um, and I, I agree with David, you know, as much as Zach Wilson needs to play clean, I think the other two have to show up as well. And the, the best thing that I love is watching Garrett Wilson, a guy who we forget is only in the second year of his career in the NFL. And he's going up to Zach Wilson after drives on the sidelines and breaking things down and explaining things to him. And they go out that next drive, and he goes, hey, I'm going to do this, throw it at this point, and I'll catch it. And that's what happens. And I think that to have a guy like that is just invaluable. A guy who, from Ohio State, who at this point, I think, over the past, do we go back as far as 10 years? Maybe I'll be safe and say seven years. Um, I think has produced the best wide receivers that have come out of college football. And a lot of those guys have produced really well within the NFL. And I think the maturity shows the intelligence shows the football knowledge shows. And I think Garrett Wilson is a guy that has really stepped up to help, you know, Zach Wilson grow. Um, And I think David is completely right in that factor that, you know, him and Brees Hall have to also be there to help their quarterback win these games in these situations. So we'll see. I mean, let us know at home, guys. Is this a team that can make a playoff, you know, with the offense being as dependent on 
whether or not they can really score points in, in this defense holding teams to low scores. You know, I think uh, I think they have a good shot. So I think we see a lot of teams in the NFL this year, whether that's the Jets, you know, the Steelers, obviously the Browns without Deshaun Watson, um, that have been able to flourish when they haven't been getting best play from the offense. They've been able to hold teams to not very many points and it's enough for the offense to do what they got to do to win games. Um, and it, it is a very interesting sight to see. Cause I feel like the past decade, we've just been dominated by great offenses and, and it feels like we have some really good defenses in the league right now. So I know Dom mentioned Aaron Rodgers. If you guys didn't see before the jets game, he was throwing already. I think it's like less than 40 days after his surgery. You know, what are your thoughts on this, David? You know, this, I, I guess this progression of his healing that he's on and, and that he's already to this point where most people would still probably be on crutches. I think it's fantastic for the medical field. I think it's fantastic for him being 40. Um, Probably a benefit that he can afford some of the greatest medical attention that he can get. Um but I think it's great for him. So if he can come back, don't recommend it, but that would be great all in itself. Yeah, it is very remarkable, I think, when it comes to what sports medicine is actually able to do nowadays. I know that I've seen it firsthand. Um, you know, I tore my first ACL when I was 12, and I tore, you know, it for a third time when I was in college and to see the, the difference in procedures and treatments and physical therapy and the way that everything's gone about just with that injury, um, changed in that time span so much. So I could only imagine, you know, what the Achilles injury and everything that goes into that has changed even probably since from when Kobe Towards Achilles all the way until now that Aaron Rodgers and you see J.K. Dobbins, both of them are getting the same treatment from the same place. Um, and they're both already kind of up and moving around and, and and doing things that you really shouldn't be doing at this point. And I think uh, I think, yeah, don't overdo it. Don't re-injure yourself. But crazy for sports medicine and, and, and where it's at right now. Dama, do you want to elaborate? Any more in your opinion? I think you already kind of said something a little bit ago, but. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's beyond incredible um, how quickly he's been able to recover. You know, I, I said, I I don't think he should rush it back, but if he's medically cleared to play and he's fully good to go and he feels up to it, and then, you know, <laughs> that's one remarkable, but two, yeah, if he's able to come back, he should come back. And he's definitely a guy that, you know, we've he's kind of shown that he wants to come back. You know, he definitely wants to be around the team. He was excited for this year. So, yeah, I, it, I'm just amazed by the medical field and and the innovations that we're seeing and how things are progressing. Uh, this is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It would be it would be interesting to see if. If he could, if they made a playoff push, like if they were able to make a wild card spot, if he was actually able to come back and play, you know, I think that's a big if. I 
I would like to see him take his time, but if that's where the medical field is at this point, where the turnaround is, you know, I think it it used to be like 14 months or something like that. But I mean, if we're talking eight, nine months, maybe even less, if that's what the turnaround is now, then that's a phenomenal growth within that within that injury. But I, I would like to see him give himself an opportunity to play for a couple more seasons. You know what I mean? I think that this Jets team is that caliber of a quarterback away. Um, and I just don't want them, him or them to jeopardize that for maybe an opportunity to compete for a Super Bowl this year. Um, when they could try to do that the next couple years. So let's go ahead and talk about a Hall of Famer that had beef with a current wide receiver. If you guys don't know Steve Smith, I would say as a player and even now as an announcer, he's not really a guy who shies away from the trash talk. Um, and it's not usually normal as an, as an announcer um, or a sports analyst who really kind of, I'll say talk shit as much as he does, but he does it. And Jerry Judy was kind of his latest, I don't want to say victim, but it kind of feels like that a little bit. Um, Basically, Steve Smith made a comment on his podcast that Jerry Judy was a jag, just a average guy. Um, Obviously, Jerry Judy didn't like that very much. And before the Thursday night game, Steve Smith tried to go and like, hey, like, hey, man, I understand that was disrespectful, like, yada, 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 like, I'm sorry. And apparently Jerry Judy was like, F you, you're a bum, I don't even want to talk to you. And uh, Steve Smith didn't like that very much. And Steve Smith went on to say on live television, he said, uh, I'm sorry I said you were a jag, just a guy who is an average wide receiver that the Denver Broncos used a first-round draft pick on that isn't doing anything. I hope that you actually show up in a way that you haven't shown up in the last couple years since they drafted you. So if you ever got a problem with Agent 89, I'm sorry for saying that you are an average wide receiver that they will eventually move on from. When teams call me to ask if they should trade for you, I will say no. Don't trade for Jerry Judy because he is mentally unable to handle constructive criticism who watch specifically if you can be a wide receiver. He isn't a tier three. (laughs) So obviously Steve Smith went on on Jerry Judy. Um, Personally, I don't really think he said anything inaccurate about Jerry Judy's play. He has been very underwhelming since he came out of college and I don't know if that's all his fault. He really hasn't had the most stable quarterback play since he's been in the league. But I do think that a lot of the comments are valid. Um, Dom, what's your what's your opinion? Do you agree with Steve Smith? Do you think maybe he's, you know, a, a little bit capping on this one? Or, or what's your opinion? No, I completely agree with Steve Smith. I mean, he had a, a decent run at the end of last year, but you know, it I understand he hasn't had the most stable quarterback situation, but Russell Wilson's been playing pretty good this year. This is the best quarterback that, that he's played with by far. 
And currently he's on pace for 57 receptions and 629 yards. That's great if you're a second or third round draft pick that has kind of emerged as a guy. If you're drafted in the first round, you're expected to get more than 57 receptions. Um, you know, for his career, he's averaging 44 receptions um, a, a year, 629 yards. And I, I don't know. It's his, his play doesn't justify um, really where, where he was drafted. It doesn't justify them keeping him around or even, I, I don't know if they picked up his fifth year option, but I do think that he's a guy that they're going to move on from. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk of, of teams, especially contenders trading for him. And, you know, I agree a lot with what Steve Smith said, especially about his ability to learn and take criticism, especially constructive criticism from a hall of famer that's been there and done that at your position. Um, that that's a guy that I would think you would want to learn from and not react to the way that Jerry Judy did. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I know he's still young. Maybe he can figure some things out, but up to this point, I think it was a wasted draft pick. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I give the defense that he hasn't really had a consistent quarterback, but I think, what he's drafted same draft or around the same draft as Terry McLaurin. And you kind of see what Terry McLaurin was able to do with really not a lot there in Washington. Um, And I think Terry McLaurin is what stacked up some thousand yard receiving seasons there. um, If I'm not mistaken, or or at least close to it. So I, I I feel like Terry McLaurin is, is a good bench line of where they thought similar talent wise. Um, and a guy that was able to produce with inconsistent quarterback play, and Jerry Judy just hasn't. So, David, uh, what's your thoughts on the Steve Smith comments? Do you think they're true? Do you think they're not? Oh, I think they're completely accurate right at the moment. And on top of that, you don't you don't say fuck you to a Hall of Famer who's trying to David, give this you is a, a this is a kid show, David. You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You. <laughs> you don't say that to a Hall of Famer who's trying to help you. You just don't. It's like even Hall of Famers respect the opinions of other Hall of Famers because it's like you're taking advice from someone who's been there, done that, and is just simply trying to help you. People that are excellent at the game take the opinions and criticisms of everyone that has been there, done that and tries to, to apply it to their own game. You don't do that. You don't say fuck you to that person at all, unless you show up and are already a hall of fame career person five years into your career. You don't do that. And Jerry Judy's not that guy. Oh, he just loves a, dropping f bombs on this show, doesn't he? I, I know, guys. We've we've hit our limit for f bombs before. I have to make this explicit, okay? So no more f bombs. Also, David just said, "Jerry Judy, you ain't that guy. You ain't that guy, Jerry Judy. He ain't that guy." Also, uh, Nick, you you asked what draft he was in. It was the 2020 draft. Do you want to know what other wide receivers were taken in that draft? Uh, uh, let me know. 
Oh, we're, we're, we'll go in order here. So um, Henry Ruggs, Ooh. um, who was having a good year before he was having a decent career until he kind of ruined it. Um, Jerry yeah. Judy, kind of <laughs> CD Lamb. CD Lamb was taken to that draft two picks after um, Jerry Judy. Uh, Jalen Rager, um, that was kind of a bust. A uh, man named Justin Jefferson was taken uh, 22nd in that draft. Um, Brandon Ayuk was also taken in that in, in the first round. These were all first round picks. So the Broncos took Jerry Judy when they could have had CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, like, Brandon Ayuk. But if I'm being completely honest, like I feel like Justin Jefferson's really the only one that was worth a first round draft pick. Like I'm not hating on Brandon Ayuk or CD Lamb, but I don't know. If I mean, I think CD Lamb has played. I think CD Lamb has played well enough to be a first round wide receiver, a back end first wide receiver. I'll give him that. But like, which he was, he was taken 17th, so yeah. that's towards okay. the back end of the first round. I can see that. Brandon, Brandon Ayuk. He was taken 25th in the first round. I, For what he's been able to do, I think that's pretty fair. Okay. I, I don't know. But still, I mean, like, yeah. Oh, also, T. Higgins and Michael Pittman were taken in the second round. That's Those are probably better options than Jerry Judy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, he'll find himself on a new team after this year or halfway through, you know, in a couple weeks. But I, I don't know. Maybe the Chiefs go out and they're like, hey – let us see what we can do with Jerry Judy for a fifth round draft pick. And the Broncos are like, okay, you know what I mean? I think uh, it's going to be more than that. They were asking for like a first and a second. Well, they're not going to get a first and a second. They, well, last year they were asking for a first and a second. I think it's going to be more than a fifth round pick though. No, they'll be used. They'll they'll be lucky to get a used bag of chips. Like they listen, David just said on the world renowned Deep Dive Sports podcast that Jerry Judy ain't that guy. So he ain't that guy. So they can't get more than a fifth round pick out of him. That's crazy. If he, if he ain't that guy, why would the Chiefs want him anyways? I, because the Chiefs love having mediocre wide receivers, Dom. Okay, that's that's what they want. They want mediocrity that's, at the wide receiver. Okay, wide but, receiver but a now. mediocre wide receiver. Now we're gonna look up how much Jerry Judy is making this year, and if you're gonna have. A mediocre wide receiver, you're better off with the young dudes that are making no money compared to um, Jerry Judy, who is making $15.1 million this year. Um, and also, on top of that, did I, did I wait? Did I freeze there for a second there? No, but on top of that, right, the so, reason I said the, what I said was because he isn't that guy right, like right now, he ain't that guy. Doesn't mean that he can't become that guy, but as he is right now, he's not that guy. Okay, so 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 finishing my thought. If you're the Chiefs and you're gonna just collect middle wide receivers like they are, um, I think guys on rookie deals or veteran minimum deals that are making little to no money um is a lot better than a mediocre wide receiver that has a base salary this year of fifteen million dollars, including eight point six million dollars in signing bonuses. And a guaranteed $15 million salary this year. So if you're going to just collect mid-wide receivers, they might as well be cheap and not expensive like Jerry Judy. Yeah, I don't know. I just threw them out there because, I don't know, that seemed like a a good spot. It does seem like a Chiefs move, though. Yeah, yeah, it does. 
Um, anyway, let's go ahead and finish out this episode here, guys. It's been a long one. We're just going to finish out quarter four quickly. We'll go through our projections. Um, we'll obviously talk about them in depth next week, but let's go ahead and hit this one right off. Penn State, Ohio State, guys. This is probably the biggest college football game this week. This has a ton of impl- implications, whether that's Big Ten, whether that's playoff. David, what's your uh, thoughts on this one? I think that it's going to be close, but if Ohio State can stick to a game plan or come up with a game plan and stick to it, I think Ohio State wins this, but it could very much go Penn State's way too. So, But for right now, I'm going to stay with Ohio State. I agree. I think it's close. I think Ohio State squeaks this one out 35-28. Dom? Um, I'm not going to give a score to this game, but I do think Ohio State's going to win. Um, I think Penn State, while a good team, I think Ohio State is one of the four best teams in the um, in college football right now. I think they're going to win, and you know, I, I don't know if it'll be close, but historically, it's always been pretty close. So, you know, I think you give a pretty fair score. Yeah, I think the average score has been like twenty six to twenty three or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if this is going to be a blowout either way. I, I hope not for, you know, a blowout of Ohio State. But if we can blow out Penn State, that would be fun. But I just don't see that happening. So um, a fun one. Hey, it's, you know, the Armed Forces game. Air Force is 25th. I think they're ranked 25th in the nation right now. Um, crazy. Don't usually see a team like this that high up. But Air Force versus Navy, always usually a pretty good game. You know, I know this is kind of a random one in there, but I'm going to try to watch this one if I can. But what do you guys think this score might turn out to be or what this game might turn out to be, Dom? Um, Air Force currently ranked 22nd, 6-0. and um, I don't think this is going to be close. Um, Army doesn't historically, well, in recent history, usually doesn't have that good of a football team. I I don't think this game is going to be that Army close. or is it Navy? I've heard both right now. Oh, it's Navy. Yeah. My apologies. It's it's against Navy. Um, either way, Navy is a little bit of a better football program than than Army. I still think this is going to be a game that's not that close. I think you know Air Force being ranked twenty second in the country, you know, speaks to the quality of this team. I don't think it's going to be that close. All right. Uh, David, Dom does not believe in the semen. Uh, what is your opinion on this game? <laughs> I hate that you worded it that way. Out of, out of all ways to word it, why why that they're, way? They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're on the sea. They're called semen. I, I don't – what's wrong with that? I know, right? Yeah, geez. Gosh. David, uh, what, what's your opinion on this game, man? Why did you have to take it that way? Yeah. It's a family show, Dom. <laughs> but anyways, jokes aside, um I'd have to go with Dom again on this one, say that the Air Force wins considering they're the one team that's ranked out of the two. Um but who knows? I think Air Force but at the end of the day I think the Air Force wins. All right. Yeah, I agree. I think they win this one uh I'm just hoping it's a it's a it's a more fun game. It's a little bit more competitive, uh, usually is, but maybe 
their talent is just a little bit too much this year. So uh, Tennessee versus Alabama. Um, always of, of not always say always, but the past couple of years has seemed to be a more fun, you know, challenging game. I think each of these teams have had their troubles this year. Um, but what's your guys' opinion on this game, David? Based off of what's been happening this season and Alabama's current quarterback situation, I'm going to go with Tennessee on this one. All right. All right. I'll just keep uh, it simple. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if Tennessee can get this one done this year. I, I, I don't want to go against Alabama. I do think it'll be close. Um, I'm just, I'm going to say Alabama squeaks this one out. Dom. Um, I'm going to go with Tennessee on this one. Um, they've always been my second favorite college football program behind Ohio state. Um, love to see them beat Alabama last year. I think Joe Milton is, uh, he's a really good quarterback. And I think this Tennessee team while sitting 17th, they're five and one. Um, I think the only reason why they're not six and one is because they had a bye week. Um, Alabama six and one that has been, you know, they, I think they'd have more wins if they, they they would be sitting at six and one like Alabama if they didn't have a bye week. You know, I think this is a good team. I think the Alabama quarterback situation is not not really the best. has has been kind of um, uninspiring to the to this point so far this year. I think this is is going to be a close game. Like it always is. It's a big rivalry game. I think Tennessee can still get it done. At, right. I think at the end of the day, we'll just end up seeing another goalpost in the river again. <laughs> no, because I think this game is in Tuscaloosa. So, well, I, unless they're doing a watch party at, at Neyland Stadium, which I don't know if they do. But since it's in Alabama, I, I don't think any goalposts will be in rivers this year. Hey, you never know. Sports fans. You, you never know. Balls. I guess stranger things have happened, especially in college football. But mm. um, I think I, it's going to be unlikely. Hey, man, rip rip that right out of the Crimson Tide field. Strap it to the back of your Ford and drive it to the river, dog. <laughs> drive it to the river. <laughs> anyway, for the uh, first mm. of probably <laughs> – Three really good tests for this uh, USC team going forward for the rest of their schedule. Three or four tests here. Um, they're going to play Utah, guys. What is our opinions on this game? Dom, I'll let you go first. I'm going with the upset. I'm going to go with, with Utah on this. I think Utah is a good program. Um, they don't have an elite offense. They don't have an elite defense. They're just a solid team. And I don't know. I think coming off of a pretty devastating loss against um, Notre Dame. Who knows what the mental state of this USC team is going to be. I think, you know, maybe Caleb Williams is, is rattled a bit and coming in against a team like Utah. I don't know. There may be some opportunities for this Utah defense to kind of exploit um, Caleb Williams and, you know, his, I guess, maybe at times questionable judgment. I think this is an offense that can definitely exploit the USC defense, which I mean, really any team in college football at the D1 level can do. You know, who knows? I think it'll be close, but I think um, Utah can definitely get this one done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, David? I think that USC's defense will fail them again, 
And if they watch any tape from, if Utah watches any tape from this past week, I think that they can learn how to mess with uh, Caleb Williams. So as long as they do their homework, I think Utah will win this game. Yeah, this is going to be a big test for Caleb Williams, what his uh, mental fortitude is and whether or not he can bounce back from a performance like that. Um, and I think it's a big test for this coaching staff and for the rest of the team as well in in the same regard. And I, I agree. I, I think that loss is going to hang over their head. And it's not like they're going to go play a team that they should beat. They're going to go play a Utah team, which is a good team. Like Dom said, they are a very good, well-rounded team. They're obviously without their starting quarterback, but that has not really looked to hinder them all that much this year. So I think that uh I think that this is a a, a second game in a row that USC is gonna drop and I think it has a lot to do with you know them coming off of this awful loss that they had and just them playing another good quality team that that is good all around. So let's go ahead and move into the three games I have up here for the NFL. This first one I think could potentially be a maybe a Super Bowl preview. I think the Ravens and the Lions are two teams that have the ability to make the playoffs and win in the playoffs. I think they have the ability to string together some wins and find themselves in the Super Bowl if everything goes right. Um, at the very worst, I think they're both playoff teams. So this should be a really good matchup of, you know, willpower, good defense explosive plays, but I'm interested to see what you guys think about this one, Dom. Um, I'm going to go with the uh, Biden kneecaps up in Detroit. I think um, the currently, I think they're tied for the best record in the NFC. Um, now that the Eagles lost, I think this is one of the better teams in football. And I know the Ravens, Lamar Jackson has been playing well, but there's still a lot of injuries on this team. And I, I think that could hinder them, especially offensively at times. I think this this Lions team is I, I don't think it's just talk with this team. There there was a lot of hype around this organization coming into the season. And I think they've they've backed it up. This is a legit team. And I I see the Lions winning this one. Yeah, I think uh Dan Campbell has already posted himself up on Harbaugh's porch. Um He's waiting for him. So I, I do agree. I think the Lions come out of this one with a win. I think it's a hard-fought game, though. I don't I don't think that either team blows either team out. I, I just think that the Lions really aren't built in a way to blow a lot of teams out. Um, I just think, like Dom said, Except they're the Packers. Yeah, well, I said a lot of teams. I didn't say every team. Um, but I do think that they're built, like Dom said, to uh, – they're, they're, they're going to bite your kneecaps off. They're going to bite your ankles off. You're going to lose a shin. You might lose a butt cheek. but the oh, Lions, they may even take the whole leg. Yeah, the, the Lions are going to come out with that win regardless, and you're going to lose a limb. So, yeah, I I, uh, I, I think that they, they, they'll, win this, they'll win this game close. David? Yeah, this is probably the best Detroit Lions team we've seen in a long time. Our yeah. lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, this this is a team that, you know, I, I wonder 
I just wonder what could have been if like Stafford and Megatron had a Dan Campbell. You know what I mean? Like a guy who gave a damn, a guy who was a phenomenal leader of men. Um and and if they had that, you know, what would those Lions teams have been? Um what's your what's your face for, Dom? I mean, they still had Jim Caldwell, who's a damn good coach. I know, but like, what did I, they, I know he what may did not be do? to the extent that what that what, um, what Dan Campbell is, but I, I think that the failures of this organization in the past, especially recent history, has been more so on the the front office and and scouting and and team building is as not as much as coaching. Now, obviously, the Matt Patricia years. Obviously, that that was just a horrible choice at, at head coach. I think they finally got it right to Dan Campbell, but Jim Caldwell was still a damn good coach, and you know he was able to get them to the playoffs. Which for the Lions, that's a big achievement. He was able to get them to the playoffs twice. I think if they were able to have a better team around Stafford and Megatron, yeah, they could have done a lot more. But but this is what I don't I, think it was just coaching. Again, this this is what I say: is what what did he really accomplish with a Hall of Fame wide receiver who's arguably top five of all time in his prime, maybe top 10 if you want to have that argument. And then a guy in Matthew Stafford who should be a Hall of Famer um, and really didn't get to show what he really had there in Detroit. I, I do agree that organizationally they failed those teams. I don't think Jim Caldwell is an awful coach, but I just think Dan Campbell has an effect not just on the players, but on the front office and ownership. He has a way of imposing his will and galvanizing everybody in order to make a change and bring the right personnel and guys in there. I, I think he has a, a big effect. I, I think, you know, you get guys like him or Mike Tomlin, um, you know, Bill Belichick in the past, I think, are are guys that really had an effect on 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 really what that team was shaped and looked like and the motivation that went into changing the overall culture from top down there. Um and that's the only thing I was getting at. Not really shitting on Jim Caldwell, but Yeah, no, I get that. And for the most part, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think Matt Stafford and um Megatron were able to carry that team as far as they could go because it was literally just Stafford to Megatron all day because let's not forget this team had no offensive line. They never had a run game that, that they can also rely on. Megatron never had a reliable number two. Mm. They never even had a defense. So I, I don't think we should really hold it against them that they were only able to make it to the playoffs twice. Well, I think I'm not I'm not holding against it those two guys. I'm I'm just theorizing like if if they had a guy who could impact the organization the way that Dan Campbell is right now, because whether or not we want to believe it, like we could be like, oh well, the organization is just making better decisions now. No, I I one hundred percent, I one hundred percent believe that it is the Dan Campbell effect. I think his the way he goes about doing things, the way that he's able to shift a culture. I think that he is the reason that that culture is shifted. I think he is the reason that that organization is making good decisions that they, 
they are a better organization. They are a better football team. I think that it is mostly because of him. Um, obviously, they hired him, so kudos to them. But I think from the moment that he stepped in that door, he has altered the way that everybody thinks about winning football. Um, and I don't, as much as Jim Caldwell was a phenomenal coach, I don't think he was he ever had that ability that Dan Campbell has. Um, I don't know. But next game, Chiefs Chargers. This should be a game that's a AFC championship preview, but the Chargers are frauds and the Chiefs just don't have an explosive offense. So who wins this one, guys? <laughs> uh, David? It it's really hard to go against Patrick Mahomes right at the moment. And Chargers coaching just sucks. It just does. It's like they have an explosive offense and the defense can hold its own, but because of poor time management, they can't really do anything with it. So I say because of coaching, I'm going to go Chiefs. Okay. I agree. I think the Chiefs squeak one out, but it's not pretty and and I don't like it. So, (laughs) Uh, Dom, what's your opinion on this one? Um, it's kind of hard to disagree. I I do think this, this game can go either way. I, while the chargers have been kind of underwhelming, I think the talent on the field is still there. Um, it, it is hard to go against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. So I, I do think that the chiefs pull this one out, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout because while the chiefs have a, a respectable defense, I do think Justin Herbert is, I think he's an elite quarterback and they got Austin Eckler back. Um, You know, Keenan Allen seems to be having the best year of his career. So I think this offense is going to be playing well enough to keep them in the game. It's just, again, like always going to be up to Brandon Staley. And if I'm choosing between Andy Reid and Brandon Staley, I'm taking Andy Reid. Like eight days a week, twice on Sunday, taking him to lunch. Yeah, I don't care how big that bill is going to be. I'm picking him every time. Oh, no. <laughs> Dom yes, uh, how Dom's big that taking bill Andy Reid to dinner. Dom's like, Andy, how did you spend $100 at McDonald's? God. Oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> now explain that again to me, but with the nuggies. <laughs> the nuggies, yeah. Um, all right. Last game that I have up here for our game games of the week to watch is another game that I think could be a potential Super Bowl preview, and that's going to be Dolphins versus Eagles. I know the Eagles laid an egg this past week against the Jets. Um, I don't think that's going to be the norm, but they have been struggling a little bit to find their identity, and and Jalen Hurts really hasn't been himself that we saw last year. But again, I think this is a team that could get right. I think this is a Dolphins team that has probably the most explosive offense in the league. Their defense is hurting a little bit, but Tyreek Hill is on pace to have a 2,300-yard season, which is just outrageous. Um, But what's your guys' opinion on on this game? Again, I I think it could be a potential Super Bowl matchup, but uh, Dom? I think this is going to be a really competitive game. I, I know that the Dolphins' offense has been impressive, but you know we we saw what happened to them against Buffalo when they when they faced a really good defense. And I think Philadelphia has 
a very good defense. So I, I think they're going to be able to keep them in check a little bit. I know that the problem with the Eagles this year has been their offense. I mean, they're still six and one. Um, so, I mean, it's really kind of getting nitpicky with, with criticizing this team, but I, I like the Eagles offense. If they're able to put together a complete performance, like we saw really all of last year, I'm still going to take the Eagles in this just because I think their defense is, is a lot better than the Dolphins defense. Uh, we'll see what the Dolphins defense is like when Jalen Ramsey comes back. I think they'll be significantly improved, but when push comes to shove, defense still wins you games. It still wins you championships. You're not going to win every game 70 to 20. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I'm hoping that the two is able to to still be Tua and have a good game. But I, I think offensively, when the Eagles are playing like they should be and how we expect them to, I think they can be on par with the Dolphins offense. So really, we're picking between the Eagles defense and the Dolphins defense, and I'm still going to take the Eagles defense every time. I'm going to disagree, man. You didn't have to play David this week in fantasy football. And jeez, man. Tua, Jalen Waddle, was it Jerry McKinnon? Uh, hold on, let me take a look for you. Jesus Christ, dude. Hey, I, I, I didn't play him this week, but I played him the week before oh his gosh, team man. went off. Listen, I had Tyreek Hill, so I benefited, but I got completely blasted because he had the other three. And I'm just going to say this, man. This Dolphins offense is historical. Mike McDaniel is probably one of the best offensive minds in the NFL right now. And he has just, if if you could think of a Ferrari, he has like six of them just sitting there waiting to be driven a thousand miles an hour. And I just don't think that I just don't want to go against them. I know the Eagles defense is good. I know that Jalen Hurts is good. I know that their offense is good, but I'm going to go with the explosive offense in this one. I think the Eagles are still trying to figure out their identity. I think they're still trying to figure out how they're going to play this year, who they're going to be. And I think Jalen Hurts is just struggling for some reason at times. And I think that, like I said, this Dolphins offense is just otherworldly. So, I'm not going to say it's a blowout, but I, I do think the Dolphins come out of this one with a win. David? Now, before I go into fantasy, I will say that I think that the Eagles might take this one out and win this one because of the defense. Um, But not to say that the Dolphins can't uh, utterly shake them around like a ragdoll, offensively speaking. Interesting way to put it. So it's gonna shake them to death. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna stick with the Eagles right at the moment. And to go one back, more th- huh? One more thing to add to that. It's not so much a statement on this game, but the NFL in general and NFL fan bases. This is this this Dolphins offense and Tua specifically is what happens when you are patient with your young quarterback that you drafted in the first round. You know, just because he didn't come out his rookie year and light the world on fire doesn't mean that he was a bust. You know, I, I think moving on from him 
even a couple of years ago when they were trying to get Tom Brady, I was saying that that would be a mistake. And, you know, he's proving all of his, his doubters wrong. And it's a testament to him. And, you know, the, he has to go in to a building every day with an owner that was ready to move on from him after his rookie year and, and come in motivated to every day prove his, his, his boss wrong. And I think he is. And I think, you know, hopefully the owner realizes that that would have been a short-sighted mistake. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see Tua come back from last year while he was good. Uh, you know, we all know the injuries that he had. I'm glad that he was able to come back and be better than, than he was last year. I think it's amazing to see him. And I do hope it continues, but I don't mm-hmm. know if it will this week. So, so to go back to fantasy back. real quick, I got 45 points out of Tua. I got 47 points out of Raheem Mostert and 20 points out of Jalen Waddell. That's on top of the 27 points I got out of Brees Hall, 22 points out of Garrett Wilson, 15 points out of uh, the tight end from Atlanta, and 30 and a half points out of Drake London. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I just feel like I went up against you, David, and, and you had your best week. I, I don't even, it, it was just insane. I don't know. Plus, Justin Fields got hurt, so that didn't really help me out. But yeah. Anyway, all right, guys, it's time to go. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Two Minute Drill presented by Deep Dive Sports. As always, it was Dom, David, and myself, and we will catch you guys on the next one. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Two Minute Drill. And make sure to follow the show on Instagram at Two Minute Drill Podcast, D-D-S. Don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can listen to all of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. Also, comment on all our posts and episodes. We would love to hear what you think about the show and what we talk about each week. And as always, Two Minute Drill listeners, until next time.